Hello, everyone. This is Isabel Cortez, and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. Some time ago, I told you all that no story that I could make up would amount to the true horror that occurred in Elizabeth Bathory's Kashtis Castle. While that is still true, I wanted to tell you all a story from the perspective of one of the young women who was fortunate enough to survive the dreaded murder castle. From 1590 to 1610, Elizabeth Bathory and her accomplices kidnapped, tortured, and murdered up to 650 young women and girls, some as young as 10 years old. While the grounds of her castle was littered with dead bodies buried in shallow graves or left to be eaten by rabid dogs, some of these kidnapped girls were lucky enough to escape and tell the tale of torture and abuse that they endured while in Kashti's castle. The story I'm going to tell you today is a story inspired by one of these girls who was led to Elizabeth Bathory's castle under false pretenses and endured indescribable pain. Katerina Papp knew that her family was poor. She knew that the extent of their poverty stopped them from being able to provide for themselves in any meaningful way. They were living day to day and were one natural disaster, accident, or sickness away from being completely ruined. She also knew that it didn't help that she was the only child, and a girl, and that her parents were growing older and older as the years went on. It was the sad reality of her life that had she been born a boy, she would have been able to properly take care of her parents and contribute to her household. And although her mother and father never said this to her, she felt the guilt of being born a girl every day. Katerina had a brother once. When she was seven years old, her mother had given birth to a son, a fat, pink little boy with a gummy smile and brown eyes so light that they bordered on golden. Katerina had loved her little brother. She was there when he cried, when he was hungry or fussy. She was there to clean up his spittle or brush the little hair he had or wipe his soiled bottom. There were moments when she would get jealous when her brother reached for their mother and her father would laugh and say, Come, Anna, hand the boy back to his sister. And then one day, Katerina awoke to the sound of her mother crying. She wandered over to their kitchen, her bare feet cold against the stone floor, and watched as the village priest prayed over her brother's small body, which lay in a bevy of pillows. Her father and mother held each other, tears rolling down their cheeks and streaking their faces. "'What are you doing to Edelbert?' she asked the priest. The priest looked at her, his expression calm and sympathetic, and continued on with his work. But Katerina didn't like the way he was looking at her brother. She didn't like how much sadness was surrounding him. He was a baby. Babies needed happiness and joy around them. She walked over to the priest and got in between him and her brother. Aderbelt was sleeping on the pillows, calm and serene, and when she went to pick him up, he was ice cold to the touch. Cover him, she told her mother. He's cold. Her mother took her by the shoulders and hugged her very hard. In that hug, 
Katerina knew what had happened. It was impossible. She had just seen her brother last night, and he was smiling and laughing in his little bed. How was this possible? Her mother explained to her that things like this happen sometimes. That type of devastation was not uncommon, but that didn't stop Katerina's heart from hurting any less. She loved her brother in a way that she could never describe, and when he died, a small part of her died as well. But something else died that day too, the hope that her family had to survive. A man would have been able to get a job that would bring good money into the home once her father was too old to work. It would have brought a home for her mother to live in once her husband had passed away, and it would have kept the family bloodline alive. The only thing Katerina could hope for was marriage, so that she could someday stop being a burden to her family. When word began to float of a countess who was traveling around the village looking for willing young women to take under her wing, Katerina became curious. She asked the local gossips what exactly the countess was doing. She is turning walking pillars of dirt like you into fine young ladies, one of the women said with a laugh. She is giving them servant jobs and teaching them manners and proper speech, another woman said. Does it pay well? she asked. Well, I imagine so, although the girls do not come back. They go to live with the countess. But the Valko family was sent a new head of cattle for their daughter, and the Stolar family was given 300 gulden when their daughter Agnes died of cholera. Katerina contemplated what an opportunity like that would mean to her family. As she and her parents were eating dinner around the table, she thought of the possibilities. Her parents would be getting paid in some way for her, and she would be able to leave the house and unburden them with another mouth to feed. She would also have the opportunity to get the kind of training and education she needed to make something of herself. The world was closed to people like her, but if she could become an educated woman, a woman that had skills and work experience, a few doors would open up. It was just a thought, though. She had never seen this countess and didn't expect to see her anytime soon. Good things like that didn't happen to people like her. But the next day, when Katerina was tending to the garden in front of her home, she heard hoofbeats off in the distance. She set her hoe down and dusted the dirt off of her dress. The sound of braying horses began to fill the air and she walked out into the road to see who was coming. In the distance, kicking up clouds of dust, was a shiny black carriage being drawn by two large dark horses. The driver was a form dressed in black, a large hat resting atop its head and no distinguishable features that she could see. They were heading duriously down the road with no intent of stopping, and although Katerina was in their way, she couldn't bring herself to move. She was transfixed by the sight before her. Just when she thought that they were going to run her down, the carriage came to an abrupt stop. The horses neighing in protest. The cab windows were drawn shut with heavy black velvet curtains. Curiosity took hold of Katerina as she cupped her hand and tried to look into the windows to no avail. The door to the carriage opened abruptly and Katerina took a shaky step back. 
a beautiful woman dressed in a high-collared red velvet dress, its long elegant sleeves obscuring half of her hands, exposing long manicured nails, stepped out. Long black hair was piled high upon her head, and the eyes that looked down at her were very emotionless. Katerina felt severely underdressed and self-consciously patted her wrinkled dress and tried to smooth down her hair. She tried to wipe the dirt from her face, but the woman caught her hand and did it for her. Her hands were ice cold on her flushed skin. Where are your parents, my dear? The woman asked. My parents? Katerina asked dumbly. Yes, your parents. Your mother and father, where are they? She replied with a hint of annoyance in her voice. My father is working in the fields and my mother, she is, um, she is. Katerina looked around for her mother, suddenly aware of how unattended she was. How old are you? The woman asked. I turned 15 last month. The woman stroked Katerina's cheek again and pinched it hard. Katerina lifted her hand to the spot that was already starting to welt. The woman placed a cool finger to the spot on her cheek where the blood was beginning to pool under her skin, feeling the warmth. She smiled down at Katerina. I am the Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Katerina's mouth dropped open. I'm looking for hard-working young women to come and work for me. Would that be something you'd be interested in? Yes, she blurted out without thinking. Wonderful, the countess replied. Come with me. She wrapped an icy hand around Katerina's arm, digging her long nails into her skin. Katerina winced and instinctually pulled away. Shouldn't we tell my parents? She asked. <sighs> Fisco, the countess called out. The carriage driver came down from his post and stood by his mistress. Run inside and find the mother. Tell her about the wondrous opportunity that we have extended to her daughter. Tell her that this young woman has agreed and that we will be paying her handsomely. The countess removed a heavy bag of coins from the pockets of her dress and handed it to Fisco. He ran into the home and Katerina could hear her mother and the young man speaking. She couldn't make out what they were saying, but before long, her mother walked out of their home with a small bag of Katerina's things. With teary eyes, she handed the bag over to her daughter. He says that we cannot wait for your father to come home, but I know he would like to say goodbye. Do I have to go now? Katerina asked the countess. The woman looked impatient and dangerous, and Katerina shuddered at the gaze that was being leveled at her. Yes, she replied harshly. I will be back, Katerina said to her mother, who blessed her with the sign of the cross and helped her into the carriage. Thank you for this opportunity for my daughter, her mother said to the countess with a bow. The countess didn't reply back or bother to look in her direction. She got in the carriage and ordered Fisco to go, leaving Katerina barely enough time to look back at her mother through the window.
The ride to the castle was Katerina's first sign that she had made a mistake. The Countess spent the ride sitting in front of Katerina and looking directly at her. She never once moved or blinked or said a single word. She stared on with a small smile on her face, scanning Katerina up and down. Through the window, Katerina could see a castle looming in the distance. Its turrets scratched the sky in a violent way and she noticed strange plants growing all around the property. It wasn't until the road under them grew smoother and the forest around them began to dissipate that the carriage started to slow down and the Countess broke her gaze. Welcome to my home, she said, fondly looking out at her castle. When they finally stopped moving, the boy named Fisco gently helped the Countess off the carriage. Once he was assured that she was off and on her way to the impressive wooden front door, he grabbed Katerina by the arm and pulled her out. He pulled her all the way into the home and left her standing in the middle of a beautiful foyer. The marble floors were decorated in a spindly spiral formation and they spread past the foyer and into the several rooms. There was a grand staircase off to one side lined with a red velvet rug. Katerina caught a glimpse of the Countess walking up the stairs and into a room where she slammed the door behind her. All around the walls were portraits of the Countess. Some depicted her at younger ages, and some showed her with a man who Katerina could only assume was her husband. Many of the paintings on the wall, however, were just of the Countess alone. Katerina couldn't help but notice that the Countess very much enjoyed looking at herself. A woman walked out of the room that the Countess had just entered and quickly made her way down the stairs. Katerina's heart stopped when she realized that she recognized the woman. Her name was Anna Darvolia, and she was known as a witch around the village. If this woman was here, then it was not a good sign. Katerina took a few steps backward, but Anna was quick. She grabbed Katerina's arm and tugged her into a room that looked to be a small kitchen. Remove your clothes and change into these, she ordered, shoving a stiff dress and apron at her. She did as she was told, although Anna never took her eyes off of her. Once she was dressed, Anna turned around and roughly tied Katerina's hair up with a piece of fabric. The Countess dines at six. Do you know how to prepare a dinner? Yes. Katerina replied quietly. Then begin, she said, turning on her heel. When do my studies begin? Katerina called after her. Anna swiftly turned back and delivered a hard slap to her cheek. The blow made her ears ring and she could taste blood in her mouth. That was your first lesson, Anna replied. Do not speak unless spoken to. Katerina watched as she walked away, leaving her alone to cry in the kitchen. On her first night at the castle, Katerina was awoken by the sounds of screaming. They were not muffled or intermittent screams. They were loud and constant, as though the person producing them was using all the air left in their lungs to utter them. She didn't know whether or not to go and check to see what was happening, or just hide in her room until the screaming was over. It wasn't that she didn't want to help, but the sound of those screams were making her want to cry. Whoever was producing them was in the worst pain of their lives, and Katerina didn't want to run into whatever was causing that pain. 
but it was not in her nature to not help. She wanted to help, she really did, but that primitive part of her brain was telling her that running to help would surely mean death, and so she stayed in bed and listened to the screams all night. Eventually, she floated into sleep out of sheer exhaustion, and even then, she heard the screams in her dreams. The next day, she was awoken at 7 a.m. to prepare the Countess for her day. Her cooking, as she was told, was subpar at best, and so they thought she would be better suited as the Countess's personal maid. A woman who had introduced herself as Cataline walked with her to the Countess's room where she laid down the ground rules in a soft voice. The Countess is a very heavy sleeper, but she wakes with a start, so you must be very careful with how you move about the room. When you walk into the room, gently pull open the curtains so that the sun shines through. Once she feels the warmth on her face, she wakes on her own. Be very careful to not make any unnecessary noise. When she wakes, ensure that you are standing at the foot of her bed with your head bowed low. She doesn't like to be seen in the morning when she is unprepared. Do not make eye contact with her. This is very important. What happens if I do? She asked. Catalina turned to look at her. Out of curiosity, Katarina clarified. She will scratch your eyes out with her bare hands. She replied with no hint of humor or sarcasm in her voice. A shudder ran down Katarina's spine because she knew without having to be clarified that this was the truth. Katarina quietly stepped into the master bedroom and wrapped her arms around herself. The room was impossibly cold. She took heed of every step she took, ensuring not to step on anything that would make noise, and when she made her way to the curtain, gently pulled it open. The warm sun shone through, but not even its light could bring heat into her blood. She made her way over to the foot of the bed and looked down at her feet with her hands clasped in front of her. And just as Catalina had said, Katerina heard the sound of rustling sheets and moving pillows. She felt eyes on her as the Countess awoke, and the eyes were tempting her to look up and into the eyes of the woman in bed, but Katerina stood still. Footsteps thudded around the bed, and a shadow passed her by, blocking the small amount of warmth that she was receiving from the window. She was aware of someone standing behind her, felt the icy chill of hands on her shoulders, and breath on her ear. "'Turn around and face me,' Elizabeth Bathory said, with a hint of teasing in her voice. "'Is that an order, Countess?' Katerina asked, her voice shaking. The Countess laughed at the fear in her voice. She placed a long-nailed hand behind her scalp and with surprising force pushed Katerina forward where she hit her head on the frame of the four-poster bed. Katerina's head rung like a bell and she felt blood trickling down her forehead. Her eyes were refusing to focus and she felt faint. Brush my hair, she heard the Countess say. Feeling around for something to stabilize herself, she clumsily made her way over to the vanity where the Countess had taken a seat. 
She blinked her eyes several times, and when her vision finally stopped swimming, she picked up a long-handled brush. Before she could begin, the Countess reached for her hand and stopped. She took a long, elegant finger and wiped the blood from Katerina's forehead and smeared it on her soft, bristled brush. She did it several times until Katerina's forehead was clean and the bristles were stained red. Although Katerina was still trying her damnedest not to look at her new master's face, she couldn't hide the look of disgust on her own face. It makes my hair soft, the countess said. Now brush. Katerina did as she was told and watched her blood streak through the lush ebony hair before her. She brushed and brushed until it was invisible in the strands. Bile threatened to escape her throat, and in her nauseous gaze, she snagged the countess's hair. She felt her head tilt back in response. Katerina's breath caught. Fear took over her body. The countess let out short, rapid breaths before simmering down and in a soft voice said, Come here. Katerina slowly made her way from behind the chair and did as she was told. The countess tilted her head upwards and met her gaze. She was an exceptionally beautiful woman, even having just woken up, but her eyes were still as dark and lifeless as Katerina had remembered from the day before. Mistakes happen, she said, although her voice remained icy. Katerina tried to find an ounce of humanity in the woman's face. But couldn't. But it is imperative that they do not happen again, she continued, and with one swift motion grabbed a chunk of Katerina's hair and pulled it out, scalp and all. Katerina screamed and fell backwards. The countess stood up and looked down at her, wailing and crying and covering her now bald and bloody spot on her head. She looked on for a moment before erupting into a fit of hysterical giggles. Anna Darvolia and Cataline entered the room and surveyed the scene. The Darvolia woman joined in on the laughter as Cataline stared sympathetically down at Katerina. Anna, bright this into my hair, the countess said in between giggles. Katerina watched as the countess passed over the bloody clump of hair to her friend. Remove her. She then said to Cataline. Cataline walked over to where Katerina was sobbing and lifted her up off of her feet. As she was being guided out of the room, she watched the countess take a drop of blood that was dripping from the piece of scalp still attached to the hair and rub it on her lips. Katerina spent the rest of her day performing various chores around the castle while pretending that she was okay. Cataline had explained that if she showed an ounce of pain or sorrow, the Countess and Anna would torment her even further. It was best if she put on a mask of numbness and continued on with her tasks. Cataline seemed to be doing her a favor, though. Whenever the Countess's heeled boots could be heard echoing her way, Cataline would find something for her to do elsewhere in the castle, and so she was able to elude her mistress a little longer. There were times, however, where she would still be found, and in those times, Katerina wished for death. The Countess would walk by and scratch her with an ornate gloved claw that she kept on her at all times. She would pierce skin and leave a small stain of blood on her already stained clothes. 
Other times, she would stab her with sewing needles, leaving them protruding from her flesh for Katerina to pull out. And just when she would, the Countess or Anna would walk by and do it again. She felt like a living pincushion. You are getting blood on my clean floors, the Countess remarked once. I'm sorry, Katerina said, unable to hide the pain in her voice. The Countess took two quick steps and stepped on Katerina's knuckles. Katerina felt the crunch of her knuckles underneath the shoe. What did you say? The Countess asked. Katerina let out a whimper and opened her mouth to scream, but didn't. I'm sorry, she said. That's what I thought you said, the Countess replied and took her foot off of her knuckles. As darkness enveloped the castle and nighttime came, Katerina looked out of one of the many windows on the top floor and wept silently. Cataline came up beside her and asked her to produce her hand. Katerina eyed the woman tentatively. She couldn't trust anyone, but this woman was the only person so far who had shown her an ounce of kindness. It wasn't overt, but it was enough to let Katerina know that Cataline was different. She hesitantly produced her hand and allowed Cataline to bandage it up. I was supposed to be studying things, Katerina said with fear in her voice. They're all told that, Cataline replied back. All? Katerina asked. Cataline pointed out the open window to a small plot of land that stood apart from the rest of the grounds. The earth looked newly overturned and a pack of wild dogs were sniffing around the mounds that protruded out. One dog in particular looked to be gnawing on something long, and when Katerine strained her eyes to get a better look, she recognized it as a human arm. How many of them are there? she asked, horrified. I've lost count, Cataline responded, tying the bandage. No one ever comes looking for them. The Countess sends Fisco to the families of those who do with money or gifts to placate them. My father will come looking for me. I never got to say goodbye, Katerina said with conviction. I pray he doesn't, or you will surely be dead then. That night, Katerina heard the screams again. They radiated through the stone walls of the castle and filled every space. This time, Katerina knew that something had to be done. She wasn't going to let another innocent girl become food for the dogs. Ignoring the cold that shot through her, she padded down the stairs and towards the sound. They were coming from a small door tucked into an alcove in an ornately decorated drawing room. The door was so inconspicuous that unless someone was looking for it, it would have been easy to miss. Katerina pressed an ear to the door and jumped back as another blood-curdling scream came through. She tried the door handle and was surprised to find it unlocked. She steeled her nerves and opened the door, plunging headfirst into darkness. If she thought that the castle was cold at night, the space that she entered was colder. She could see the cloud of her breath with every breath she took. Her feet seemed to be moving on her their own, 
taking her down narrow stairs that ended abruptly to the side of a small room. The glow of torches could be seen from within, and Katerina poked her head enough to see, but not be seen. All around her were machinery and shackles and devices caked in blood. Cuffs attached to walls, beds lined with pins and knives, a table that demonstrated an assortment of screws, pliers, hammers, and belts. Cages that seemed far too small for even an animal were strewn about haphazardly, and Katerina noticed that etched into the stone of the ground were nail marks, as if someone was dragged through and clung on for dear life. Bloody clothes were stacked in one corner, and Katerina recognized the pellets piled on a table as human teeth. This one is dead, Ilona, she heard the distinctive voice of Anna Darvolia say. You're killing them too fast, the woman named Ilona replied, walking over and setting down a set of rusted pliers. Katerina watched as they both walked away from the body that they had shackled to a wall. The face was unrecognizable, bloated and blue, and covered in blood and bruises. The mouth hung open, revealing nothing but gums. Now she knew where the teeth had come from. Where's Cataline? Anna asked casually. Tending to tomorrow's breakfast, Ilona replied, toying with a molar. A rat scurried over Katerina's feet and she released a small yelp. Anna and Ilona both looked to in the direction where Katerina had been hiding. They strode over quickly but found nothing but rats. Katerina had silently run back up the stairs and out of the room before they got a chance to discover her. Once in her own room, Katerina laid in bed with a knife that she had stolen from the kitchen tucked closely to her chest. She needed to escape the castle before she was next. Katerina's eyes burned as the sun rose on her third day of servitude. She had never fully fallen asleep. She knew that at one point she had closed her eyes and awoken a few hours later only by the slight change of shade of the black sky outside her window. She needed to get out of bed and start coming up with a game plan. First, she tested her window which faced the back courtyard of the castle. The glass was thick, far thicker than she anticipated, and she knew that there would be no breaking it without causing a ruckus or even injuring herself in the process. It was also amazingly high up, and there was nothing she could scale on the outside to make her way down to the courtyard. There was no way she was going to jump, because jumping would mean certain death, and as much as the thought was becoming more and more appealing, she wanted to be alive and well enough to tell everyone she possibly could about the atrocities she had witnessed. Escaping her from her room was out of the question. She didn't know what time it was, but no one had gone to her room to fetch her yet, so she thought it was safe to assume that everyone was still asleep. The sun was rising quickly, and she needed to take advantage of the shadows that clung to the cold corners of the castle before dawn fully came. In her bare feet, she slowly stepped out of her room, careful to close the door as quietly as possible. Her mind raced as she thought of the days that had passed by. All she wanted to do was make something of herself. That's why she was in that castle. 
She wanted to be able to contribute something to her family. She wanted to be intelligent and proper, a lady like all the sophisticated women on charity trips she had seen walking down the streets of her small village, looking at them all as if they were animals out in the wild. The Countess had promised her that. She had promised that to all the girls that had been there before her. Those girls wanted the same. They wanted to be the same. They were promised to be part of a world that they had only seen from a distance, but yearned for so terribly. And instead, they were attacked, beaten, mutilated, and murdered. It was enough to make her cry right there, but she knew better. She needed to get this right before anything else happened and she lost her shot. She remembered the blood-stained walls of the dungeon below, the pile of clothes, the instruments of torture caked in blood. Bile rose in her throat as she made her way to the kitchen. No one was there, not even Cataline, who she knew awoke before everyone else. She then checked the multiple drawing rooms that the castle held, and for more than once during her stay there, she wondered just how much money the Countess had. A noise in the dining room drew her attention. It sounded like plates clattering and breaking, and then hurried whispers. What if a servant had broken a plate? She would surely be punished if she was discovered with the mess. Katerina had to go and see how she could help. Quickly following the sound of the voices, she got to the large double doors that led to the main dining room. She pressed her ear against the door and heard multiple voices and the sound of someone grunting and choking. No! she cried out, fearing that the torture had already begun. But when she got inside, she saw Countess Elizabeth convulsing on the floor in her nightgown. Her eyes were rolling to the back of her head and white foam was spewing out of her lips, which were turning a frightening shade of blue. Anna Darvolia and Ilona were holding her limbs down, trying to stop her from shaking too violently, while Cataline held her head in place. They all turned to stare at her. Grab the girl, Anna said sternly, and Ilona ran over and grabbed Katerina by the arm, dragging her over to them. Cataline produced a paring knife from her apron and took hold of Katerina's hand. She gave Katerina a look that she knew was meant to be an apology, but then cut her palm open and squeezed to make the blood pull out. Ilona smeared the bloody hand over the Countess's lips, and Katerina watched in horror as her own blood spilled into the woman's mouth. Slowly, the convulsion stopped. The eyes rolled back to their appropriate human place, and the others in the room visibly relaxed. Moments later, the Countess fell still, and she looked to be unconscious. That's the fastest I've ever seen that work, Alona commented. There must be something in her blood that makes the fit stop faster, Anna agreed. They were talking about her like she wasn't in the room. Katerina noticed it was the perfect opportunity for her to leave, to run away and never look back. No one was paying attention to her, but she couldn't make her legs move. She was staring from her bloody hand to the unconscious countess on the floor. What had she just witnessed? Witchcraft? Blood magic? Whatever it was, it made her skin crawl. She wanted to cut her hand off and throw it in a fire. We have to have more of her blood for next time, Anna said. That snapped Katerina back in the moment, but it wasn't fast enough. 
Anna grabbed a small statuette from a nearby table and clubbed Katerina over the head. The last thing she saw before blacking out was Catalina's eyes pooling with tears. Katerina felt the pain before her eyes opened. Something was burning her skin. It wasn't hot, but it hurt. Her eyes fluttered, but she was having some difficulty opening them and keeping them open. She tried to move her hands, but found that her wrists were shackled above her. Panicking, she moved her legs and found that they were also shackled. She was strung up on a giant wooden X in the dungeon. She fought and fought to free herself, but nothing worked. Hush, a small voice said. She looked over and saw Cataline with a small pot of ointment in her hand. The burning she had felt was the sensation of the ointment on a long but shallow cut on her arm. She looked around at herself and saw that her entire body was covered in these cuts. Blood pooled beneath her, and she felt as if she was going to faint again. You have to hold still so I can put this on you. Cataline said. Stay away from me, Katerina cried out weakly. I said, hush. They brought me down here to get you down and into your room. If they see that I am helping you, they will kill us both. Helping me? You did this to me. You all did. I did not. I only cut your hand because if I hadn't, my countess would have died. She's a murderer. Catalina ignored her and continued to dab the ointment on her open cuts. When she finally got to all of them, she undid the locks on her wrists and ankles and hoisted her down. Can you walk? she asked. Katerina didn't respond. She leaned against her for support and they both began to walk up the narrow stairs and back up to Katerina's room. Catalina put her in bed and wrapped her wounds in clean bandages. The Countess will be asleep for the majority of the day. She always sleeps long after a fit. Anna has granted you leave from your usual duties. You must rest. I have to leave, Katerina said and began to weep. I have to go back to my mama and papa. I want to see my mama. Cataline tucked her into bed and looked around the room, as if expecting to see someone else there. The Countess will be asleep for the majority of the day, she repeated. Anna has granted you leave from your usual duties. No one is expecting to see you again for the rest of the day. They know you will be in your room, resting. Katerina looked into Cataline's eyes. They stayed silent for a moment before Cataline slipped out of the room. When Katerina laid her head back down on the bed, she noticed the paring knife that Cataline had stored in her apron sitting beside her pillow. Katerina waited for night to come to make her escape. Her body still ached and all she truly wanted to do was fall asleep and never wake up again. But she was being handed an opportunity to escape and it was the only one she was going to get. She had heard what Anna and Ilona had said. They thought her blood was some magic cure for whatever ailed the Countess, 
They had already taken so much of it today, and if she stuck around, they were going to eventually take it all. It was now or never. She got dressed, grabbed the paring knife that Catalina had given her, and wrapped it in a piece of bandage before storing it up her sleeve. Gingerly, she stepped out of her room and made her way down the stairs. She heard voices in the kitchen and in the adjacent rooms. The Countess might be asleep, but everyone else was still up. She quickly looked around and walked to the front door. It was unlocked. There was no one in the foyer. Could it really be that easy? Could she just walk out? She touched the door, tested the lock one more time, as if to assure herself that it wasn't a cruel trick. But she had taken too long. A servant woman walked out of one of the drawing rooms holding a dinner tray with empty teacups. Shh, Katerina begged. Miss Anna, Miss Anna, one of the girls is escaping, the servant girl cried out, pointing at Katerina and dropping the plate. Before she could wait and see if anyone was behind her, she flung the door open and ran. She ran all the way out of the castle grounds. Around her, she saw gardeners staring at her from their work. They were digging new holes and placing bodies inside of them like demented flower beds. Fisco the driver was eating an apple and sitting atop his seat on the carriage where he spotted her as well. Follow her, you idiot! An angry voice called from far behind her. Katerina didn't turn to see who had said it, but smiled when she noticed Fisco pick up the reins to the carriage without realizing that there were no horses attached. Her smile went away, though, when he started to give chase to her. He was much faster than her, and she was still weak from the torture that she had endured, so it didn't take long for him to catch up to her. When he finally did, he grabbed a hold of the back of her dress and pulled hard. They both lost their footing and went tumbling down. Katerina got to her feet and pulled the paring knife out of her sleeve. As soon as Fisco got to his feet, she stabbed him in the side. It wasn't a very deep cut, but it was enough for him to stumble back down to the ground and cry out in pain. Katerina ran and ran. She ran until she was well out of the castle and deep into the forest that surrounded them. She ran through thickets and branches and fell over logs and boulders. But she wasn't running aimlessly. She was running home. She had remembered the way that they had taken on that first carriage ride there, and she was following her memory back home. There were a few times where she had to hide, having heard the sounds of horses trailing behind her. Every turn she took, she waited for the black carriage to come galloping over and take her back to that hellhole. But something was on her side, because the carriage never found her. By the time that dawn broke on the fourth day, she had limped her way back onto the main road that led into her village. Begging her body to not give out on her just yet, she walked over to her home and knocked on her own front door. It only took a few seconds for her mother to answer and take in the sight of her bloodied and bruised daughter. Katerina collapsed into her mother's arms and fell unconscious. Weeks later, Katerina stood before a judge and a team of investigators and recounted the story of the horrors that she had witnessed within the castle of the Countess Elizabeth Bathory. She had made it her mission to tell anyone who would listen of the atrocities that the women was committing and of the numerous lives that were lost. 
the families of several of the girls who had gone to the castle to supposedly work or get an education began to come forward and demand proof of life. Those who were told that their daughters were dead demanded to be able to retrieve their daughter's remains. Soon, the entire village and neighboring villages were in an uproar. Unfortunately for Katerina, nobody cared about the word of a poor peasant girl. But word of what she had gone through and what she had seen quickly spread to a number of noblemen who had also sent their daughter to learn from the countess. Many of their own daughters were also unaccounted for. It was only when their own were affected that the team of investigators stormed the countess's castle and arrested her. Katerina never knew what became of Cataline, the woman who had helped save her life, or what had happened to the other monsters that had helped the countess steal so many lives. She eventually learned that Elizabeth herself was placed under house arrest and not put to death. She wanted to be surprised, but she knew that money and power could afford people privileges that others wouldn't even dream of. But there was something sweet in knowing that Katerina could leave. She could travel the world, have children, and watch them grow old, while the Countess would grow old alone. She would grow mad in her stone castle until the day that she died. And Katerina did grow old and travel and have children, she watched them grow old and have children of their own. Although she still carried the scars on her body from her time at the murder castle of the Countess Elizabeth Bathory. And she would carry them for the rest of her life. <laughs>